0: of Chandler Conference, so please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples and planting churches. It's Monday and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon.
1: Amen. So good to be here this morning. Uh, just such a privilege. Uh, to be given this opportunity to be able to come and to uh, minister the word of God, uh, let's turn in our Bible to the first, first Kings chapter two. First Kings chapter two. There's a story told about Albert Einstein, and he was travelling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle and he's punching the tickets. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached into his vest pocket. He couldn't find his ticket, so he reached in his other pocket. It wasn't there. So he looked in his briefcase but couldn't find it. Then he looked in the seat by him, and he still couldn't find his ticket for the train. The conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets. As he was ready to move to the next car, he turned and saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees looking under his seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry, I know who you are, no problem, you don't need a ticket, I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am, what I don't know is where I'm going. So Albert Einstein, he knew who he was, but he didn't know where he was going. And sadly, we live in an age that men don't know who they are and they don't know where they're going. And I was so blessed that Pastor Mitchell spoke on being a man last night because I thought I was so out left field with his message. But we live in this age where men, men are confused. And in our text, we're about to read, we see an exchange of two great men, one who has lived his life with God and one who is about to step into his destiny in God. So in first, excuse me, first Kings chapter two, starting in verse one. Now, the days of David drew near near that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go all the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments and his testimonies. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Verse four, that the Lord, excuse me, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So this morning I want to preach on something that has been under attack since time began and even more so in the day that we live today. And I've entitled this message, Prove Yourself a Man, and uh, I guess with the subheading, What It Means to Be Masculine. So firstly, I want to look at the stripping away of masculinity. And you'd have to agree this is something very prevalent in the society we live in here in Australia and many Western nations that this stripping away of masculinity and what it means to us as, as a culture, as a society. So in our text, David is about to die. And he's passing the mantle to his son, Solomon, who's going to step in to be the king of Israel. We know that the last words that a man would utter somebody before they would die is something that is very important to them and something that's very important that he wants to pass on to whoever he's speaking those words to. They don't, they, they, they don't want there to be any confusion. This is what I, this is what you need to do, Solomon. And he lays it out for him in verse two, I go all the way of all the earth. That means he's going to die. And then he says these powerful words, be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. So the question we then need to ask ourselves is, what does it mean to be a man? Why is there so much confusion? You know, you, you, you would think just looking at a person, you would think, yes, he's a male. She's a female, but in today's, today we have that confusion. I remember I was preaching a revival uh, in Wollongong and I actually called out this person that I thought was a, a woman. I said, young lady, would you like to come forward? And everybody's, yeah, you with the long hair i'm not a, I'm not a girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could confuse me. But there's this confusion, there's just this unbelievable confusion, and', and, and it's part you know, when you look at the media, you know, on TV, dads are displayed as being this buffoon, he's an idiot, he's useless. There's, there's nothing good about a man that if you look at what the, the way uh, the, uh, the film and TV presents him. Then you have culture saying there is no difference between men and women, that we're all the same, that there's no differences. And then there are different different masks that men wear, that they think they have to wear, you know, like being this aggressive, macho man, you know, like don't let them see who the real me is. And so they wear these masks or whether it's a sporting mask or, you know, and this is what identifies them. This is what gives them their worth is the mask that they wear. And so this is what it means. We we have to know what it means to be a biblical man of God. In Proverbs 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. When it's talking about it, it's like taking our cues, our guidelines from what the world says about what men should be, what, you know, how they should act, you know, and relate and all those types of things. And so just so there's no confusion, we want to go back to what God said. Genesis 5 verse 2, He create, created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. This is how God destined human beings to live. They were man and woman. There was no confusion to God, Adam and Eve. So firstly, I want to look at the confusion about gender. Just be, and just because you, and their, their whole priestess or, 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 or is premise is just because you were born male doesn't necessarily mean that you're a male. And likewise, if you're a female. I heard this quote the other day that I thought was very profound. John F. Kennedy put a man on the moon. Barack Obama put a man in the woman's toilet. <laughs> but there's this, de- you know, and then, then you have, th- you know, you just have to look at the media and just there's this great debate. You know, like I remember when uh, Bruce Caitlin slash Caitlyn Jenner, she received. I can't even say he he received. This courage award for coming out and saying that he's a woman trapped in a man's body. Now, when I first saw Bruce Jenner, he was a decathlete. A decathlete is one of the greatest athletes you could have because you're not only doing one uh, discipline, you're doing 10 disciplines. He won an Olympic gold at the 1976 Olympic Games in the, decath- in the decathlete uh, event. So this is what I knew of Bruce Jenner. So when you see him prancing around like some, you, you know, like in his his, uh, his high heels and everything else, I'm thinking, my goodness, what happened to you? Where was the disconnect? And so you have all this confusion about gender. Then you have confusion about what it means to be a boy. Now, I think I'm a quite half decent parent. And I was given the task of lo- looking after two of my boys uh, while Robin and, and her mum and you know sister-in-law and that went off for shopping. And I had about eight kids to look after. Now, somehow I got distracted. I was down in the house. They were up where the swimming pool is. And so, boys being boys, when you see a shed next to a swimming pool, and I'm not just talking about a little garden shed, I'm talking about a shed that would hold... My father-in-law's uh, you know, building equipment in there, his truck and all those. So it's quite high. And then so when someone builds a breeze-block wall next to the shed, what does that mean to a boy? Well, let's just climb it and get up on the roof and jump off the roof into the swimming pool. That's exactly what boys do. So anyway, I think I returned from my comatose state. And the boys come up to me and say, oh, dad, you wouldn't believe it. We've been up on the shed roof. We've been jumping off and just... And I'm thinking, oh, goodness. I felt like joining him. <laughs> but I remember saying these profound words, look, let's just keep this between ourselves. <laughs> My oldest was probably nine at the time. The second one was probably seven, uh, seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, something like that. And... um but they couldn't help themselves. As soon as their mother got home. <laughs> Mom, you wouldn't guess what we've been doing. Dad, let us do it. <laughs> anyway. But it, just that whole confusion about what it means to be a boy. You have children to prescribe drugs like Ritalin for ADHD. There, an, argument, uh, sorry, an article I read with the use of stimulant drugs to treat defi- attention d- deficit Hyperactivity disorder in children has soared. With prescriptions of Ritalin and its equivalents up to 300% in seven years, uh, researchers at the University of Queensland found prescriptions of all stimulant drugs to treat ADHD among Australians rose 87% between 2002 and 2009. So these are old stats. So what would it be today? And the increase was largely driven by prescriptions for male children and teenagers, I know when I was a boy, my brother and I were always getting into wrestling matches, fighting. We had this rule you couldn't hit in the face, you know, all those types of things. But that was just what it meant to be a boy growing up. Now, I probably would have been prescribed Ritalin back in those days. <laughs> but boys are boys. Then you have the confusion about same-sex marriage. And we have, only, we have yet to see what this will do to our country. You know, and because I marry people, I'm interested in what the new form was going to look like. And so where it used to be bride and groom on the on the on the headings, now it's party one, party two, and it's made up of groom, bride, and partner. And then just to delve even deeper down, they, they got subheadings of what of what sex you are, you have male, female, and then you have X. X refers to indeterminate, intersex. Or unspecified. So, the, you, well, what, what do I tick? You know, so you've got all this confusion about what it means to be a man. Then you have fatherless homes and, you know, having grown up in a fatherless home, you don't have that role model about how a, a boy should re, a boy should be, how a man should be. One man said, mothers make boys, fathers make men. And so the father is the role model to both sons and daughters. To their sons, he shows them how to behave as a man, what it's like to be a man. And to our daughters, we have to show our daughters how a man should treat them. So when they get married, they know that they're not marrying some bozo. Number five, we have women wanting to do what men do. And dare I say it, men wanting to do what women do. I know for a fact, I would not make a very good mum. I just know it. My kids will be dead today. I, I mean it. I just, that nurturing, you know, just go give it a rub. You know, I know you got a bone hanging out. Just give it a rub. You know, even my grandchildren, you know, I'm amazed how Robin can let them spuel over and just poop all over and all those. But to me, it's like, my goodness, here you take, take. We're made different. So, when I, in the last exercise I was doing in the army, the Australian army and their wisdom wanted to introduce women, and, and I, I love women. I got I, an incredible wife, incredible daughter, incredible daughter in laws, but they wanted to introduce women into the battlefield. So, I remember doing this last. Exercise. We're we're kitted out. We're, We're doing. We're kitted out as an infantry section. So that's 10 people. You have your weapon, your basic webbing, which carried all your ammunition, your water, and then you had a 40 kilo pack that you had to wear on your back. And so we're doing something like a 30k route march through the through the scrub up in the territory, which is very humid, very hot. And so it's not only that, but we're also making sure there's no enemy around. So you have to be very vigilant about what, when you, you know, you, you're constantly looking for where you're going. It's not just a stroll like having a hike. And so as we get probably 10 Ks into this march or into, through the scrub and everything else, this, this woman who was in our section said, Oh, look, I can't do it anymore. I can't carry my pack. She's breaking down. She's crying. Everything else is happening. And so, I'm trying to be gracious. <laughs> and so but the other nine men, we had to carry, disperse her pack amongst the rest of us, which we we're already carrying a heap of weight. She had to keep her weapon and she had to keep her basic webbing, but she was she was a broken mess. So we get to this place where we're doing this live firing and we do this dummy run through and it's live ammunition. There's 10 of us, a line of breast, and the, and the field has been cleared, but there's scrub all around and uh, we're given very strict instructions, because when we're doing the real thing, there's going to be explosives going off either side of us. So if you keep within your lane, you'll be fine. You won't step on anything, you won't get blown up, all those types of things. So we're going along. we had to get down. The enemy contacted us. So we we're returning fire. We did have live ammunition, but it was very controlled. We get get up to the last part where we're coming in and we all line abreast, and uh, she's got her weapon on automatic. I'm here, and I'm the the furthest one out, and next thing she's aiming at the targets, and because it's on automatic, she starts doing this number. (laughs) She's shooting birds out of the air and everything else. (laughs) But I'm thinking, this isn't even the real thing. I'm gonna die. Because I knew, because she was lagging all the time. And so I knew if she's lagging, firing a live weapon, I'm going to get stitched up the back. So I gave her these words of wisdom. Please put it on single shot. If I'm going to get shot, I want to at least survive. (laughs) But before we started it, I was praying, God, anything I've sinned against you in the past, forgive me. Anything I've done today, please forgive me. If I'm still around tomorrow and I have an intention to do something, forgive me for that as well. Because I didn't know whether I'd make it or not. Anyway, we live to tell the day, of the story, and uh, yes, with all the explosions going off, she's screaming like a little girl. And uh, yes. So the army deciding their wisdom not to have women in, in battle. But now I noticed in, when I was researching again, uh, 2013, 15, something like that, they're now thinking of putting women back into the, into facing the enemy. So secondly, what's it mean to prove yourself a man? Michael Gurian and Kathy Stevens in their book, The Mind of, Minds of Boys says, what aspect of human nature drives behavior associated with masculinity and femininity? femininity? It begins at conception where males and females start their developmental journeys down two very different paths. That juncture will affect the way they think, feel, and act for the rest of their lives. The brains of both sexes appear to be female until about the eighth week. When a male brain is washed by a huge surge of testosterone, it is then transformed radically and even takes on a different color. This male, horm- male sex hormone kills some of the communication cells Including a portion. <laughs> That's why when, when sometimes men speak, it's just duh, uh, yeah. <laughs> including a portion of the bundle of nerves called the corpus callosum. It is a rope of fibers that connects the right hemisphere, where emotion is processed, with the left, where the language is focused. And so, ladies, this is why sometimes your husband doesn't, even though they, they're going through stuff, they don't know how to put it into words because it all happens back at, uh, before they were even born. This damage has taken place through testosterone. <laughs> hey, I, I, I didn't make this up. It's in the. <laughs> That's my excuse. <laughs> <laughs> so, although the corpus callosum survives the testosterone bath, the male brain will never be able to cross talk as effectively thereafter, which has major Im- implications. For the future masculine behaviour, a male has up to 20 times more testosterone than a female. Because the female brain is not subjected to a comparable surge of testosterone in the womb and beyond, its communicative and emotional centres remain intact. In fact, these structures will grow larger and become better networked neurologically. A girl's corpus callosum is up to 25% larger than a male's, and becomes an eight-lane superhighway capable of carrying great quantities of emotional information from one side of the brain to the other. That's why ladies... Anyway, I'm not going there. (laughs) They then go and describe the boy's brain, it is a country road. It explains it all. Say no more. So here we have, we have David. Let's get back to our text. David gives Solomon a charge or a command. I go all the way of the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. So one of the misconceptions that I had about Christianity before I got saved or being a Christian was that it was for little old ladies and children. Even men didn't get a mention in that because I thought men just don't do this Jesus thing because there was something wimpy, nerdy, you know, just... You know, I know when I would give my testimony, I would describe these people that I thought, you know, that were, were as a man going to a church or confess to be a Christian, would they'd have these sandals on, they'd have the socks pulled up to their knees, and, and I'm thinking, my goodness, what is wrong with you? And when somebody said, yeah, become a Christian, you know, become, a, you, and I'm thinking, you want me to become one of these? And I thought, there's no way it, it even related to me in what I thought a man should be. Pastor Payne had a say, saying I heard that has resonated with me ever since, and that was just because you're born a male doesn't make you a man. And, and it, being a man is more than just having a, the physical anatomy of a male. David said, be strong, prove yourself a man. This word strong means prevail or courage. It means a resolute dependence upon God And this is the same word that was used when Joshua is about to enter the promised land. It is that one of a warrior mentality. The word prove means to come to pass, become or be and to become strong. To prove yourself a man normally comes through adversity it doesn 't come through the good times when you know having fellowship and just talking about manhood it becomes through adversity and I talk to you know I teach our guys in in Darwin you know you can 't afford to just when things of life come against you crawl up into a fetal position and suck your thumb and hopefully go go away because if if you do that, especially if you 're single. Then there's prospective women that may want to marry you one day, but when they see how you handle adversity, they're going to think, well, I don't know if I want to spend the rest of my life with someone like that. And so this is where we become men is through adversity. where through the trials of life where we have to really have some conviction, some real, you know, just get in and just know what to do. James one twelve from the NIV says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, this word man is a very interesting word. It's the Hebrew word is the word ish. Means man, but not just man, but a mature man. He is a man who knows who he is and is known for his qualities. So when Solomon came to be king, Scholars tell us he was around 20 years old and some put him as young as 12 to 14 years old. So when you think about this, how, you know, David says, prove yourself a man. Solomon's praying, God, I don't know how to lead these great people of yours. Give me wisdom. So if you understand, if he's anything from 12 to 20 years old, you could understand leading a nation that your father has just led, that's joined the two nations back together, and it's the time of peace now, you would think, yes, I'm in deep water. And David is saying, prove yourself Amen. You're going to have to grow up. And I'm not saying that children should grow up before it's time to grow up. They need to be children. But when it comes to that time, when they need to be a man, they need to step up to the plate. First Corinthians 13 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And don't get me started on men that are 30, 40, 50 years old playing computer games. No, I told you, don't get me started. But grow up. There are more important things in life than seeing you beat some nerd on the other side of the world. David says you prove yourself a man by doing two things. Verse 3 And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. So, number one is to walk in his ways. Number two is to keep his law or to keep his word. Now, this is very basic to us. We're in a Bible college, but it's very, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing how many people just don't do this. That somehow they have this misconception of what a man is, but the Bible is very clear about how we. Act as men, how we behave as men, and David is relating back to to uh, Deuteronomy in verse, uh, excuse me, seventeen verses eighteen through twenty. And I've done it from, from the New Living Translation. He says, when he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. And this regular reading will prevent him from being proud and acting as if he he is above his fellow citizens. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. And it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. So it's not it has that flow on effect, you you behave as a man, you live by the word of God, you keep it daily, you read it daily, and, and it has that flow on effect that we're going to impact other people through our lifestyle, that's that impartation of spirit we know only too well, and this impartation of spirit is one that God blesses. The point was very clear, the king could only rule by obtaining, writing, reading, and obeying the word of God. And a mature king rules his life and nation by means of the word of God. A mature man or woman of God does the same thing. And remember, this word ish means mature man. We must rule our life with the wisdom of scriptures. The man that David commanded his son to be would be someone with a warrior mentality and would stand on and keep and obey the word of God. And remember, this is through a time of peace. So it's not that David's saying, I want you to be, you know, how good are you with the sword and that? Because that's where men get this misconception that unless I'm this bravado on the outside that I have, you know, that I'm built like Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was in his prime, not an old man now. But when he was, you know, and we have this false idea of what men would be. But here is is Solomon. He's in the time of peace, it's not about fighting with a sword in there, but it's about the convictions he has based on what the word of God says. Based on what the wisdom that God imparted into his spirit that he was able to disseminate to the rest of the people of Israel and that it was in a time of peace that this was happening. So to have that warrior mentality is, means that you have some convictions, men. You have some things that you're not going to cross the line. You're not going to do because this is my warrior mentality. This is my warrior state. I am not going to give in to my flesh or I'm not going to give in to my carnal nature. That's what it means to rise up, be a man, have a warrior mentality and to stand on the word of God, keep the word of God and obey the word of God. A mature man is a man who knows who he is and he's known for his qualities, his character, his courage, conviction, integrity. It's not based on what I do. That's not what makes me a man. That's not what identifies me as a man. It's my relationship with Jesus Christ and what he is working in my life. And I'm still a lump of clay that God's working on, but I'm hoping that I'm learning some lessons along the way that's forming me and molding me into that vessel he wants me to be. A man has a moral compass, whether it's in leadership, as pastors, as husbands, as fathers, he's a protector, he's a provider, he's a covering at whatever level you may be at, men. When I gave my daughter away, this was so clear to me. When I gave my daughter away, she got married about five years ago, she was 21 years old. And I, and, and as I'm giving her away, it's dawning on me, I'm getting this revelation that for the last 21 years, I have been her protector, her provider, her covering. And now I'm entrusting it to another person and I'm looking at them. (laughs) Do you know I used to be the strong man I'd say to him? (laughs) But I'm 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 believing that he's going to do at least that and go above and beyond to take it to another level to provide, to protect, to be the covering. A definition of biblical masculinity is the possession and pursuit of redeemed perspective and character enhanced by qualities consistent with the distinguishing male roles of leading, loving, protecting and providing all for the glory of God. In Psalms 1 verses 1 and 2, blessed is the man. This is that word ish. So blessed is the mature man. And look what he goes on and says, He who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't take our cue from the world. We're not, as for our churches, they're not business enterprises. They're churches of the living God that we've been entrusted to. So we're not taking our counsel from the ungodly. We can learn some principles, but basically if it violates the word of God, we throw that out and we come back to what the word of God says nor stands in the path, the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful but his delight <clears throat> is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. So once more it comes back to how much time are we spending in the word of God? I'm not talking about if we're preachers and we can get into this trap. We're reading for messages because we've got to put out three sermons a week, a Sunday school, and if we're doing men's discipleship, so sometimes we can get in this trap. I'm reading for the sake of just finding what I'm going to preach on. But are we gaining our strength and our, you know, just that, that just feeding our own selves? So, thirdly, I want to look at the upward call of, of a man of God. Our conference theme is the upward calling of God. And the base text is Philippians 3.14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So to be a man of God, man that God wants us to be, there has to be an intentionality about it. It's not going to just happen by osmosis, just by sitting in church, just by hearing some preaching of the word of God. There has to be some intentionality about it. Paul says, I press. This word press means to follow or press hard after. To pursue with earnestness and diligence in order to obtain, to go after with the desire of obtaining. It's not just, oh yes, I would like to be a man of God. I would like to be a, a, an effective Christian. But the, the, our theme is saying, I press towards it. This is what I'm giving my life to. This is, this is all or nothing. I, there's nothing else for me. And I'm pressing into that. I'm not going to give up. And until I see what I I believe God has for my life or your life, we continue to press in. And and believe it or not, that's not going to be until we make heaven our home or we all get raptured. And so that is that that is a mandate, whether a man of God, a woman of God, we have to press in. We have to give ourselves to this because I've seen so many of my friends drift by the wayside and just they, when what they stopped doing was they were no longer pressing. They were no longer giving themselves to what they were so on fire about when they first got saved. There was no longer a love for the Word of God any longer. There was no longer a love to go onto the streets and tell somebody, give them their testimony. And little by little, that slow drift that starts because they're no longer, they're just stepping back to the point where they, they step out and they go, what did God ever do for me? And when you think about the blasphemy of that, First Corinthians 16 verse 13, and this is from the King James Version because I love the way it says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Strong's Dictionary says of quit you like men is to act manly. And this is not talking about an actor that does a movie role or acting a part. This is meaning that you, you, you're into this. This is not, this is not a play act. This is not something, this is something you're giving yourself to. Because remember, an actor is a hypocrite. And so the Bible is not telling us to be a hypocrite when we're acting like a man. The uh, complete word study dictionary says to behave, conduct oneself with the wisdom and courage of a man. The antonym of, of this is to be, is to be or act as a baby. That's the spectrum. We're either pursuing being a man or we're just stepping back and we've just got our, our computer games. We're giving up and this is why there's so many fatherless homes. So many men, they're abdicating their role of being a man, stepping up to the plate. And when it gets hard, when the bills are knocking at your door where you know things are happening, instead of just stepping up to the plate and saying, I signed up, I had these children, I'm going to look after them, I'm going to look after my wife, I'm going to look after my church, whatever it is, instead of stepping up, when it gets too hard, they're just advocating and they're just advocating from their role. Paul is saying it's going to take something to be a man. He uses the word watch. This means to be vigilant. This means whether you're a husband, whether you're a pastor, you have to be vigilant. You have to be know what's on the horizon. What's, what's the theme in the world today? What's happening in the church world today? One of the themes in the church world today is there's so much false doctrine around that the Bible tells us that that false doctrine is actually going to take people out of the church and lead them astray. And so all these things we have to be vigilant at. He says, be standfast. This means persevere. That if we haven't seen what we want to see as yet, that doesn't, that's not the time to back off and stop doing what we know to do. That means you keep pressing in even further and saying, I am not going to stop until I see what you have for me. It means to persevere. And thirdly, faith. This is simply firm persuasion, conviction, a belief in the truth. And when I was traveling as an evangelist, it was amazing the distorted uh, ideas people have about faith. It's almost like they've blown them up like a balloon. Quickly, I need healing. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Quick, hurry. Pray for me before I... It's not an emotional state. it's do we believe what the Word of God says? Do we have a conviction about it? Do we have a confidence? Smith Wigglesworth says, I am not moved by what I see. I am not moved by what I feel, but I am moved by what I believe. And that has to be in every man, woman and child. If we're going to pursue if we're going to pursue the upward calling of God, Whatever that may be, we all have to find the lane that we're running in, but we have to push in and believe and watch, stand fast, be be full of faith. Larry Reed was uh, probably the second revival I was ever a part of uh, when I was a new convert, and I tell you what, if you've ever seen Larry Reed, well, my goodness, ex-convict, I don't know whether he's just this life he had, and so when he came along, He's doing his goose stepping thing or whatever he was doing back and forth. He didn't even stay on the platform. He was down amongst the people and he's doing all this. But one of the things that really stood out to me was he would would say about preachers that would sit on stools and share the word of God. And he had this line that he would always say, they couldn't blow the fuzz off a peach. They couldn't blow the fuzz off a peach. That means there was no power to what they were living, what they were proclaiming. God help us if that ever happens to us in our fellowship, that we sit and share and we just sit on a stool or whatever and and just cross. I don't even know how men cross their legs like this. It's beyond me. But God help us if we ever back off. and, And, you know, when I heard Pastor Mitchell Preaching the word of God last night and he's saying there's no there's no confusion about what I am. That's why I'm in this fellowship. That's why I stuck because there was men that were boldly declaring the word of God and they were unashamedly declaring the word of God. You know, why don't we have women preachers? Because the Bible teaches we don't have women preachers full stop. I don't have to debate and argue with some religious person. Go to your Bible. See what the Bible says. And here's a man, 88 years old, and he's declaring the word of God all the time. I've been saved in 36 years or something this year. And so I've had this example in Pastor Neil Prosser, who's now in eternity. Pastor Payne is my pastor now. Pastor Mitchell, who just continues to inspire me immensely. Praise God, we've got examples of what a man is. We see from our text that if we walk in his ways... And keep his words, verse 3 says, That you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That sounds like a good promise. If I can be a man, then God will prosper me. And then verse 4, That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now bring that into 2018 now especially my brothers that are pastoring, that means that if we behave like men, that if we prove ourselves as men, there are men that are going to step up to the plate. They're going to say, I want to support or I want to go. Because they've seen that this is, this is something that I can give myself to. This is something manly, something that I can pursue. That I can have a warrior mentality, that I can stand on my convictions, my, and to take that to another level. And the Bible says you should not lack a man on the throne of Israel. That means you should not lack a man behind the pulpit. That's 2018 version. And as we continue to send men out, it was so, I was so blessed to see Leo, um, up here, you know, and his wife, you know, being launched, you know, pioneering a church in their own country. He reminded me that I gave him a word when I did a revival over there. and I said, was it a good word? He goes, oh, yes, yes. been very encouraged. So that's always a good thing. <laughs> but this is what it's all about. And ladies, if you'll allow your men to fail, your husbands, they're going to make mistakes. I have made my fair share. But if we allow our men to make decisions and support them, they are going to step up to another level because one, you believe in them and two, they want to go further than what they have because I don't believe there's a man in this, this auditorium this morning that when you get to the end of your life, you want your life to have counted. Not just how big a bank account you had or but what did I do in my lane that I'm running, the calling that God placed in my life, whatever that may be, did I run that race did I prove myself as a man and I have no regrets at the end. Amen. That's all I have. Thank you very much.